morning to all of you. Great to see, great to see you guys this morning. Had a great time with the Saturday night crowd last night. If you were unaware, we have Saturday night services as well. If Sunday morning doesn't work for you, feel free to uh, come hang out with us on Saturday nights. Um, if you're listening online because you couldn't make it to either, we're glad that you're uh, taking some time to just allow God's Word to be placed in your heart. And we believe it's seed that changes our lives if we uh, allow it to. And so uh, John alluded to it earlier. We, uh, we're going to talk about work today. I know, work. Um, we have a conference coming up, so that's part of the reason why we're talking about it. This is like a infomercial, if you will, I guess. But also, um, you know, the, 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 the reality of work is a, a part of all of our lives. And for some of you, you're like, I don't want to think about work. It's the weekend, you know? Like, what do you, I, I, that's, why, that's why I live for the weekend, so I don't have to think about work. And as I was preparing for this, this message, I just had a whole bunch of old songs come back to mind, and maybe you remember some of them. There's that guy, uh, Todd Rundgren, who sings, I don't want to work, I just want to... All right, and 40-plusers, right on. <laughs> just want to bang on my drum all day, or I just want to fill in the blank, whatever it is. I, just, I don't want to work, I would just rather do that. So why, why are we talking about it? Um, here, here's why. Uh, I... I think if we were honest, we would probably say that if we think about our lives as a whole, that we would want our lives to matter, that there's something in us that wants this life that we're living to have meaning, you know, that people would remember us after we're gone, that what we did on this planet would, would actually mean something, that it would matter. And uh, it, we want our lives to have purpose. Uh, and so a couple weeks ago, we had a jelly bean video here. If you missed it, you missed an awesome video of jelly beans. But the, the, the video was describing the amount of time that we have in our lives and how it's spent. Did you realize that for the average working adult, you spend about 92,000 hours of your life working or in work-related activities? That's a lot of time. That's 30% of your total waking hours. That, uh, do we have that graphic? There's a there, there, there's a chunk, 30 to 35, that, that chunk of your life is spent working. And if you think about it in the, the actual work days, it's bigger. It's 50%. 50% of your Monday to Friday, or for me, just my Sundays, you know, well, it doesn't really work for that. I, I work about 10%, right? But for the rest of you, you know, 50, 50% of your life is spent working. And so if you want your life to matter, then it would make sense that that chunk would matter as well. If you want your life to have meaning, it would make sense that that chunk of your life would have meaning as well. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you to ask yourself three questions and answer them. Uh, and do your best to answer them just for yourself. The questions are this, what am I doing? As, for, as regards to work, what am I doing? And right away, you can just simply answer, well, this is what my job is. This is what I'm doing. My next two questions are more important. Why are you doing it? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? And the third, who am I doing it for? So we'll jump right in. What am I doing? There's a story of three men who were uh, working on a job site, and a man came along and asked them, said, hey, what are you guys doing? And the first guy said, well, I'm just laying a block. And the other guy says, oh, he says, okay, well, what are you doing? The next guy said, well, I'm building a wall. And the third guy said, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a magnificent cathedral that the world, crowds from around the world are going to come and admire this for years and, and decades and maybe even centuries. Which one of those three sounds the most like you when it comes to your work? Three. You love your job? You're retired, John. You're not allowed to answer yes to that. Do you, love your, do you love your job? And, and, and maybe, maybe you're like John. It's like, you know, I say, I can't wait to get there on Monday morning. Um, maybe you like, you're more like that middle guy. Yeah, I kind of tolerate my job. I'm just there. Maybe you hate your job. 
You know, maybe you just like you're putting in your time, and when your time's done, then then you know you're done. But you do not, you're not enjoying any any part of it. But uh, have you ever met someone who's really great at what they do? Like you you watch them, you're like, wow. Like I've seen people who are good at things, and then there's people who are like they're just levels above. Uh, last week we took our kids to Swiss Chalet, and there was a waitress there who happened to wait on our table. And there's good waitresses, and then there's this girl. Like she was crazy, crazy good. Oh, I thought they put a picture of her up there. Okay, she's um, she's she's amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. She was smiley. She was helpful. She came along. She remembered all my kids' like orders and every little bit of it. She remembered stuff that we forgot, at, like, like using coupons at the end. She's like, oh, yeah, didn't you have some of these coupons? I'm like, oh, my goodness. Beth and I are looking over at each other during dinner. It's like, like she's just really good at what she does. And so then I have the gift of eavesdropping, so just beware. If you can see me, I can hear you. Uh, and so I was listening to uh, her talking to other people in the restaurant as she was wandering around. She's talking to people like these, this elderly couple, like they're her grandparents. I'm like, man, it's like, it's, it's like they have like relationship. And so then as she came over, I started asking her questions about the conversation. And so she starts giving me answers and I start giving them to her before. And she kind of looks at me funny. Like, I was like, I was just listening in. Like, who are those people? She's like, oh, they're just my regulars. I'm like, they're people that I see, you know, whenever. I was like, man, like she's asking them about their, how their life is going and what's happening in their lives. I'm like, man, I'm like, how come you're so happy? She's like, I just love my job. I love serving people. And I was like, man, that just, it, it, it was like she got an extra big tip. And then as we were leaving out the door, my kids, they noticed it too. They're like, dad, do you think that like she's a Christian? I wondered, you know, I wanted to go back and ask because it was just this thing. There was something about her that, that actually made a difference to, to the rest of us who she was simply serving. But her work meant something to her. It wasn't just, yeah, I work at Swiss Chalet and I like do dishes and give food to people. This was like, this was something to her, something that had meaning. And you know, the truth is that our work, whatever it may be, was always meant to have meaning. Your job was meant to have meaning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and, uh, and, and 28, you know, in, in the in the beginning, as Jesus' followers, we take the Old Testament seriously because he did. For You might be here this morning, you're not, you're not a Jesus follower. Somebody just brought you to church and like, I don't think I believe that whole thing of you know, creation and whatever else. Even as you read this, you'll notice that the things that, that it says here resonate in, in our hearts, even in, this, uh, even in this century, something that's been hardwired in us. And here's what it says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And that word human beings, that's the word Adam. Adam, that's like men and women. And so he says, um, male and female, he created them. And then he said this, verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over, be the master over, be the manager over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. He's like, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a job to do. I want you guys to, to manage this planet. Genesis 2 verse 15, it's, it's, um, much more specific. It says that the Lord God placed the man, um, or Adam, man and woman, in the Garden of Eden to tend, which means to work. He gave him a job, said, hey, I want you to work, and I want you to watch or guard over this garden. Giving this amazing place and saying, Adam, I want, you to, I, I want you to take care of this place. There was this meaningful work that was a gift from God to Adam. If you think his work as a gift from God, maybe that's a new concept for you. But here it is saying, mankind, Here's what I want you to do. This is your one job. Take care of this amazing place. 
for those familiar with the story, or if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you know that there's this, this story about this apple, you know, where Eve takes this apple, and, and sin enters the world and just wrecks everything. Sin has wrecked, you know, uh, uh, relationships, it wrecks health, it wrecks everything, including this thing called work. When Adam had one job, it was, hey, take care of the garden. But then all that got wrecked, and now we have these people who had one job. And as I looked at a few, you can waste hours and hours looking at stuff like, like this, um, this one job that, you know, is definitely broken. Somebody didn't do all their time. Then, you know, this, this one bad job, public school. Yeah, uh, and then you have this, this one job, you know, even the food, food people, you know, the, the things that they get it broken and they get it wrong as a result. And we look at those and think, you know, okay, well, those are kind of humorous, but they don't really matter all that much. But what's more important is that we, as people, got broken as well. Um, Men, instead of finding their jobs to be meaningful, began to try and find meaning in their jobs. Not in who they are, but in what they do. You know, maybe a question for you, how much are you worth? If I ask you that question, how much are you worth? How would you answer that? Priceless, that's the right answer. But for some of you, it's like, hey, you want to come work for me? I'm not paying you priceless. If I was to hire you, how much are you worth? Thanks to our government, you're all worth at least 14 bucks an hour now. Um, 14. Oh, some of them are shaking their heads. Oh, don't worry. We're getting more of that later. 14, 14 bucks an hour. But maybe for you, you think, oh, not 40 bucks an hour. That's what I make. Or $400 an hour for all the lawyers who attend. There's this, this um, amount of money that we think uh, is attached to our worth. You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, for me, it's one of the first questions I'm often asked or one of the first questions I ask people when I meet them. You know, it's like, hey, hi, I'm Mark. Yeah, hi, I'm Brad or whatever. And what's the next question? Oh, so what do you do? You know, and, and, and it depends on what they do will determine their answer. If they are super thrilled about their job, they're like, you know, hey, this is what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, whatever, I'm a CEO of a company. Or maybe they'll say something like, <laughs> I work for the government. You, I live in my parents' basement and collect pogey. And I'm loving it, right? No, they never, they never tell you that. I've watched people almost get into fistfights around a campfire over things like that, just not wanting to say what their, what their job is. Because for some reason, it's like, why can't you say, hey, I'm on welfare and I live in my parents' basement and I'm loving it. Because there's a part of that that's like tied to us. It's like, oh, that's like, there, there's, there's this sometimes a stigma attached to that. Maybe not for, for everyone, but for some. You know, and for others, it's like, you know, they ask, you know, hey, what do you do? I could say, hey, I'm a pastor, but I prefer to say, you know, I work for an international organization. We have offices in every country of the world. We specialize in, in, um, in uh, feeding, feeding the poor, in creating um, hospitals. Um, we actually uh, are involved in marriage counseling, child enrichment, and uh, public speaking as well. Right? Or I could just say I'm a pastor, right? But what, why? There's these things of sometimes the value that's tied to it. There's a reason that that value is tied to it. You know, the millennial generation, uh, the, uh, the older generation is like pulling their hair out with this generation called millennials, and I think they give them way too much, too much of a hard time. You know, I was talking with my dad this, this week, and we were talking about, you know, how's the next generation going to survive? And like, Dad, your parents thought that about you, you know, and you thought that about me. And yes, we, we think they find a way. But the millennials, it's interesting. We had some um, uh, uh, tips and, and um, information on how to hire millennials and keep them working for you. And one of the things they, 
Yeah, this might be the best thing you heard today. The actual thing that they said is that millennials don't work the same way you work. They don't come to work simply because they need a job, and you know that. What they do, they want to know that their job matters. What they're doing has to mean something. If it doesn't mean something, they're not going to do it. So you can't just tell them, hey, I want you to go do this job. You have to tell them why, and it takes more work. You have to explain to them, but if you give them the why, they're going to do it. They're going to they're, they're be like, hey, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing, but this is why I'm doing it. And uh, you'll be the one who has millennials and say, man, those people are amazing. We need more of those. That attachment, that value is the cause of workaholism. For those who've allowed work to become their master, um, I've got a definition of a workaholic was this, is a work-obsessed individual who gradually becomes emotionally crippled and addicted to power and control in a compulsive drive to gain approval and public recognition of success. It's not so much that they love work, but there's something tied to it. This public recognition, this success does something for them. It's, it's this meaning and value. The problem is they find meaning and value in what they do, and then that meaning and value disappears. And then they got to work a little harder to find a little bit more, and then it disappears. And then they work a little bit harder, and it disappears. And pretty soon they lose control, and all they do is work. You know, the meaning's there, but it doesn't last. A, a friend of mine uh, was doing a funeral for a person, and as he sat around with the family, he asked them, he said, hey, you know, tell me some stories about your dad. And they were like, blank-faced. And he's like, well, he's like, like, tell me your dad's good points so I can share them in the funeral, and nothing. He's like, well, do you have any, like, fun memories? And nothing. He's like, what can you guys say about your dad? Finally, one of them just said, he's a hard worker. That was it. He did the whole funeral on one line. Dad was a hard worker. Did it matter? Not in the end. Didn't matter if he got the gold watch. Didn't matter if he had put in all the time, if he had found maybe a little bit of meaning along the way or tried to in the end. All his relationships, the ones that mattered, didn't matter. It wasn't meaningful. See, our work was meant to be meaningful, but it wasn't meant to give you meaning. Your work was meant to be meaningful, but it's not meant to give you meaning. The value... Your value isn't based on what you do. It's based on who you are. Many of you know that, but a lot of times we forget that as we live out our days. Your value is based on who you are and whose you are. Did you realize if you wanted to buy a pair of boxing gloves today, you could go to Sport Check and buy this pair for 40 bucks? But if you wanted to buy the boxing gloves that Muhammad Ali used in the 1965 fight with Floyd Patterson, it's going to cost you $1.1 million. Why? Same boxing gloves. It's just because of whose they were. You know, baseball, you can buy a Major League Baseball for 21 bucks, but if you want to buy Mark McGuire's 70th home run ball, it'll cost you $3 million. Why? Because of whose it is. The thing is, the baseball jersey, you can buy Donaldson jersey for 200 bucks. You want to buy Babe Ruth's 1920 jersey, you're going to have to spend $4.4 million. Bucks. Why? Because of whose it is. And my last question is you. As you look in the mirror, how much are you worth? You are, worth, you are priceless because of who you are and whose you are. A one-of-a-kind, gifted, talented masterpiece that's priceless. Do you go to work thinking that every day? I encourage you not to tell all your co-workers that. You know, hey, I'm a priceless masterpiece because they will say you are a treasure, but they don't mean it. You know, the, but do you think it when you go to work? You know, your value will never be based on what you do. Never. It'll never be based on what you do. You're a human being, not a human doing. You're simply valued by uh, who you are and who, whose you are. So what are you doing? What are you doing for work? And the second question is this, why are you doing it? 
Why are, you, why are you going to work? Why are you working? And for those who like stay-at-home moms, you guys work more than, or stay-at-home dads, you guys are working probably more than, than the rest of us who you know, go to work. That, that question is, why are you doing it? And the obvious answer for most of you would be, the money, right. That's why we do it. That's why we go to work. Back in 1995, uh, I worked in a greenhouse, and I, there was this, that's, I listened to country music back then. I've since been converted, but back then I used to think it was cool. And um, you'll see, it's uh, whatever. But there's a guy named Charlie Major, and if you know this song, he said, five days a week, the whole year through. I punch the clock, and I see the job through. When you have to rhyme through with through, that's just bad writing, you know? So... You country music fans, I don't get it. But he says, I'm in the morning. I'm in in the morning and out by five. Some days I tell you I feel barely alive. Well, sometimes I wonder, what do I do it for? I take all I can take till I can't take anymore. Still I know I can't walk out that door because I do it, I do it, I do it, I do it for money. Yeah, you country music fans, right? You're, you're, I do it, I do it, I do it for the, the money. You know, it's bigger than that, though. It's not, we don't, we don't just work for money. We think we do, but it's not that. Why, why do we need the money? We need the money so that we can buy things or spend it on us or on people that give us meaning or make us feel like we matter, right? You, you work so hard so you can drive that fancy truck so people will look at you as you drive in and go, oh, that guy matters. You know, or you'll spend it on other people like, ooh, that guy, he must have meaning, right? Like, that guy's worth a lot. You know, or maybe you save it all up and you're like, I'm saving, I'm hoarding, I'm saving, I'm hoarding. And so someday I can live on, on this and I can, someday I'll do what, what's really meaningful in life, what really matters. I just got to get to that spot. I know I'm stepping on some toes a little bit maybe, but what if you're missing out on meaningful work and meaningful life now? What if you're missing out on that simply because of the way we understand work? Meaning and work doesn't come from answering the two questions I just asked. What am I doing and why am I doing it? They don't answer the question, nor do they give meaning, but it's the third one. Who am I doing it for? See, because work was originally designed to be worship. Adam, mankind, working for God, worshiping God with the talents that God had given to them, individual talents. And maybe you hear the words, working for God, and you're like, I thought that's what you do, right? Like, that's the only options, right? If you want to work for God, you either got to be a pastor or a missionary, right? Those are, the only, those are your only choices, and uh, I remember, th- remember thinking like that when I was a kid. And I'm, my mom wanted to be a missionary. It's like, you know, that thing of, wow, so special. You're working for God. And it reminded me of another song back in the day by Scott Wesley Brown called Please Don't Send Me to Africa, right? It was like, I'll be a missionary, God, but please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Don't like lions, gorillas, or snakes. You guys don't know this one? You need to... Um, no, no, you need, to, you need to Google it. That will be the best three minutes and 14 seconds of your day. But just, God, I'll work for you. Just, just don't send me to Africa. Please just let me serve, serve you here in some way. But you realize that God gave you specific talents, unique talents that he wants you to use for him. You see it in all kinds of examples through the Bible. In Exodus, God was telling Moses to build a tabernacle, which would be this physical place where God could be with people. Sin was hindering it. He needed a specific place that he could be in that spot. Jesus has since changed that. He can be, we can be with God individually now. But in Exodus 31, he says this. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, Look, I've specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I filled him with the Spirit of God. I've given him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's like, I, I did that. I made him good at these things. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. 
And he says, I've personally appointed Aholiab, son of that other guy, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, he says, I've given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I've commanded you to make. See, God said, listen, Moses, I want you to make this special place for me. I want you to do this, uh, build this place of ministry. And guess what? You're the spiritual guy, but you're not doing it. I got people who've got gifts and talents that I want them to do this. And it's the same thing. Ministry is a result of the gifts and talents that God has put in your life. And, and so this idea of you working for God, just keep that in your mind. The second thought was that work would be worship. When you hear worship, the word worship, what comes to your mind? See, maybe you're thinking like, well, isn't that what we just did? You know, four songs every Sunday morning, that's worship. Or maybe you think this whole time, this hour and a little bit that we spend together here is worship. If you Google the word worship, you know, you see hands raised and eyes closed. This is like, as I Googled it, the whole page was full of these kind of images. Just a whole bunch of people with their hands up in the air. And this was like a lot of people. But then there was like a level up of worship is this one where you find yourself in an open field. Just you and the Lord, arms out, stretched wide. And then there's the up level from that where you get down on your knee, the one hand reach to God type worship. And you're like, you know, if I did that all day at my job, i get fired. Right? I... Uh, I could probably do that, but you can't, right? So this word worship, we think, you know, we think we're, our work is worship. We, it, it messes with us because that word doesn't, doesn't tie, those two words don't tie together that easily. The word worship is actually from an English word called, oh, I don't know, you guys can try and pronounce that. Yeah, okay, me too. Um, so worth Skype or something like that. But it, it means to declare the full value of to declare the value of or to proclaim or ascribe worth to someone or something. It's just putting value on someone or something, giving my full attention to, giving my adoration or my affirmation to something. And we worship all kinds of stuff. We just don't realize it. For instance, sports teams. You know, we were, as the Olympics are coming up and Team Canada, just look at these people. They, this cost them something. It cost them big dollars. And you look at their faces and, you know, look at this guy, look at this guy down here. Like, he's... He's worshiping. He got dressed up for this event, right? He's, he's like, you can, some of you are like, oh, it's just hockey. Not to them. It's not just hockey to them. And then for others, it's like cooking. You know, they put everything into this, this delicious dish. And you're like, it's just food. Don't tell him that. You know, his steak knife will be coming your way really quick, right? He's, he's like, man, I'm putting love and care into this. And you better say that it's scrumptious at the end because it was not just food. It's like every attention to detail, full adoration put into this. And what about work? For some of us, it's just work. And he wants you to feel the same way. So what if we viewed our work as an opportunity to ascribe value and worth to God? Not that he needs to be more valuable, but that as a result of the gift that he's given us to be able to work, the talents that we say, hey, God, I want to use these for you. When Jesus came to the planet, to give his life on the cross. It wasn't just to save us from our sin. As Jesus went around, he said to people, listen, life on this planet, it's, it's broken. There's a better and a different way to live. And he would tell them, hey, you know, you heard this was said, but I'm telling you to do this. Well, he talked about work as well. And Paul wrote to the new believers. And he said, hey, you want to follow Jesus? Here's what it looks like to live life as a Jesus follower. So now this morning, speaking straight to Jesus followers, if you say, hey, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, Here's what, here's what the encouragement is to you. Ephesians chapter 6, it's written to Colossians as well and other places you can find it as well. But Ephesians chapter 6 says this, verse 5, slaves, since we don't have too many of those today, we're just going to insert workers, you know, employees. Obey your earthly masters or your bosses with deep respect and fear because you're a Jesus follower. And he says this, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. And you're like, man, that's like, Deep respect and fear and obey and serve is like, ugh, I don't like those words. 
But what does he say? Serve them as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. You know who you are. As slaves of, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Verse 7, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. What does he say? If you're an employee, if you, if you have work somewhere, he's like, hey, have deep respect for that person, for that boss, for that master. Do your best for them. Serve them. Try to please them. Work with enthusiasm. Why? Because you're working for the Lord, not just for them. What would it look like if God was your boss? I think of that girl at Swiss Chalet, and I'm like, whether she knew this or not, maybe she's listening, you know, good job. But living that out, working as if, it wasn't like I'm just doing a job. There was something more to it. Giving their, giving their best. Why? Because I'm, I'm not working for them. I'm, I'm working for him out of gratitude for him. But what if you are the boss? Some of you here this morning are like, yeah, I'm the boss. Thank goodness, right? Those people got to work for me, right? And you're like, now it's time. Yeah, world's best boss. You know, maybe that's what you just aspired to be. Like you climb the ladder of success till finally you could be the boss. You're like, I'm done having people tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm gonna tell them what to do. Maybe you worked really hard to get here. Maybe you were born into it. You know, your dad built this big business and now he just sort of gives it to you and you're, you know, or the, built the family farm and now you just get to take over and you get to tell all the other guys what to do. Maybe that's what it was. But, you know, Paul continues and writes to them and he says this, masters, which we don't really call them, but bosses. He's like, treat your slaves in the same way. In the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. It says, I'm going I'm to live out my life at work in relation to the fact that God is my master. That I will have a deep respect for the people who work for me as they are not underlings. They are people. You know, Tim Hortons right now has this, this massive thing going across our country where they're about to ruin something really, really great. You know, the Tim Hortons coffee. No Timmy Tuesdays. And there's like these protests all over the place. But what's their big thing? It's not just wages, it's this word, respect. Respect the people. It's not just about the dollar value, it's about the people that are working there. And so as he's saying, Paul's saying to the, to the bosses, he's like saying, hey, serve them. Keep their best interests in mind. Respect them for the, for the value of who they are. Please them, work with enthusiasm. Like, I didn't sign up to be the boss for that. As a Jesus follower, he calls us to something different. Why? Because we're working for the Lord. You're like, well, how do I do that? How do I work for the Lord at my job? What might it look like? When I was in Bible school, I went to Bible school with a bunch of knuckleheads. Um, there was a few that were just so spiritually weird that they took everything the wrong way. And I just want to share this story so you don't do the same. They, uh, we had the one class where they said, hey, you know, you can, the mission field is everywhere. So, you know, your job is your mission field. Go be a missionary. And so we had one guy in my class, he decided he'd, he worked at an automotive plant in the afternoon in Bible school in the morning. We'd had that that morning, and he went to the automotive plant to work. He came back the next day, and he said, you know what, I took, you, I took your advice. He says, I, he, says, I got up on the, he says, I got up on the chair at my lunchroom, at lunch, when all the other guys were around. He says, I stood on my chair in my lunchroom. I started preaching the gospel to them. I was like, whoa, right? We're all like, wow. And, he's, and, and you know, the end result of that story is that all of those workers had the opportunity to hear the gospel and revival started out at GM. You didn't hear about that. No, because the actual end result is that he had the opportunity to find a new job because he got fired. Right? Because sometimes we think there's this like spiritual side of us and there's this regular side. There's no difference. You are a spiritual being. You are who you are wherever you are. And so... 
You may think, well, how do I live out my faith at work? How do, I, how do I treat my work as worship? Here's a couple thoughts. Real quick, number one, wake up thanking God for the skills, for the talents, and for the job that he's given you. Well, I, didn't, I worked hard to get that, not with skills and talents that he didn't give you. Thanking him for those things. Doing, doing your absolute best at work because he's watching and doing it and say, God, I just want to honor you. I want to do my absolute best because of who you are. Treating the people at work as if they were God's treasured masterpieces. Why? Because they are. That you would go to work and treat everyone around you as God's treasured masterpiece that he values and loves them so much. Why? Because he does. Going to work and treating people as if you'll have to give an account of how you treated them someday. Because you will. That as a Jesus follower, he said, hey, this is what I want you to do. And it might lead to even more than that. I want to leave you with three stories. Last week, we short ones. They're about people here. Last week, I know you're leaning in. Hope it's not me. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is always with us. Always. He's always with us. What, what if we became really aware of that? That right now, he's sitting with you. As a Jesus follower, he's in you. That when you drive home, he's with you in your car. As you get into your house and you're interacting with your family, he's with you. As you go to bed tonight, he's with you. As you wake up tomorrow morning on your way to work, he's with you. As you step in and punch that clock, he's with you. As you're on that work line and in that workroom, he's with you. What would it look like if we just realized that he's with us? I'm going to change the names this morning just for the sake of their identities. So there's a guy named Ryan who was in the hospital this week. He may have mentioned it earlier. Um, and as I saw, went to visit him, as I went to visit him, uh, and I saw him there, and, and I, I'm going there thinking, man, you know, here I'm going to come in and, you know, pastor visit, and he'll be laying there like at the end of, you know, death's door. I didn't know. I thought he was in ICU when I went. And then I, I get in there. He's sitting on the edge of the bed. He's got people all around him. I walk in. The first thing he says to me is, Mark, hey, we got to pray for the person next to on the other side. I've been talking to her the whole time I've been here. We're going to pray for her before you go. I'm like, Guy, you got heart conditions going on. You like you don't even know. You got a wires all over you. You like you should be thinking about that. But he's like, nah. If I'm here in the hospital and God's with me, I'm just going to think about others, and I'm just gonna God's with me, minister and think about other people, no matter where I am. Challenged by that thought, there's a guy named Brick, um, not his real name, but he uh, he was working his whole life just to retire. We met him over the past year, and he became um, really uh, excited about his faith. And over the last year, he said, you know, he said, I was going to work every day, making big money. And he says, just counting the days down till I could just retire and get out of that place. And he says, but then all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, maybe that's not why I'm here. He said, he began to look around at all of his employees and realized, you know what? I've worked here for 25, 28 years or whatever it was. He says, I don't know if any of those people know the Lord. How do I not know that? He says, I've talked to them all. I've had all kinds of conversations and I don't know. So he began to start with different things. Because he was the boss, he sat in his office, he put his Bible on his desk, he would do his devotions at work in the morning, just so if people were walking by, they could look in and see. And as they saw, all of a sudden people would ask him, why are you doing that? He's like, and he began to tell the story, this is who Jesus means to me. He didn't try and push it on anybody, but when they asked, he just let them know. Had heart to hearts with them. Then he told me, he said, you know what, I had this day that I was going to retire and I was done. He said, that day's not there anymore. I have a new mission. I'm going to stay at my job as long as I need to so that every single one of those persons has a chance to hear before I go, because God's giving me a different mission. Man, you see the guy light up. Like, if you're part of our men's group, you just hear his stories, and it's phenomenal. And then there's a guy named Lou Ban. You may not know him either. But uh, Lou Ban is uh, a Christian brother, friend of mine, and he just said, you know, I want, my, I want my work to matter. I want to live out my faith. And so he would be at work, and he'd have Christian music playing in his 
in his uh, office and some of the other people that were around listening to it, he said, too, it gave him opportunities to have conversations, opportunities to invite people to church, some who have come, some who have stayed as a result, some who have given their hearts to the Lord and who are now reaching out to others as a result of simply saying, I want my work to matter. So conclusion, what would it look like if each and every single one of us, and no matter what the work we're paid for or not, if we worked as if God was our boss and if we worked simply as if it was supposed to be meaningful. What would it look like? So in case you were asleep this whole time, we have one video that's going to encapsulate everything, and then we're going to close. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the 9 to 5 with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business. Work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. could it look like if we treated our work as worship? We'll never know until we try. You know, the month from now, we have the Work as Worship Conference simply as a tool to help people figure out what that looks like for each and every one of you individually. This morning, the encouragement is to do that, uh, to answer those three questions we started with. What am I doing? What am I really doing in my life? Why am I doing it? And who am I doing it for? My hope is that as we live out our lives and, and do this, things, this thing called work for the reason we were supposed to as worship to him, 
people are really going to see Jesus through your lives and that you'll enjoy work a whole lot more. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you that you care about every detail of our lives, that you've called us to work with you in this mission called church. Thank you for sending your son Jesus for us. Man, what an incredible, incredible life you lived and an incredible death you died for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Father, there's all kinds of people around us every single day that are hopeless looking for hope. Uh, Just in places where we see them all the time and yet they have not had a chance to see you. Lord, I pray that as I've shared to the best of my ability this morning, that Holy Spirit, you would do what we can't, that you would translate that into each and every individual situation this morning. As your kids leave this place, that we'd have a better specific understanding of what you desire for us to do in our particular places of work. Thanks for the gift of work. Thanks for the gift of the people in our lives. Lord, and thank you for this place and this church, these people, this family. They're an incredible blessing. I pray you bless them as they go from here today in your name, for your glory, and with you. Amen.